Hey, what's up, everybody? It is Mr. Adam X, and I am your host, and this is the Pursuit Podcast on the Out of Collective Network. Out of Collective. I think it's just Out of Collective. I don't really know. We're still still trying to hold that one in. Uh, hope everyone's having a great week, great month, great year. Uh, the seasons are changing. The seasons have changed. We're officially in fall now. Uh, my first couple days are always a little difficult, but now I've like I've like turned the corner on like my seasonal sadness, and now I'm stoked again. Uh, leaves are changing. It's getting colder. It's getting chilly at night. So it's exciting. Uh, I'm excited for it. Quick left update for me. Uh, I sold my van. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know, I've been recording these out of a converted Ford Transit. And that is what I've been in for the last year. And I sold it on Tuesday. So I am currently vanless. Um, so that's interesting. So I'm on the hunt for a van. Uh, I will probably build one in the next, I'll probably buy one in the next week or two and, you know, have it built before winter so that I can chase snow and see all of your beautiful faces. So that's my life. That's what's going on. Um, we have a new sponsor for the next couple episodes. I'm really excited about it. Um, Revel Bikes. For anyone who doesn't know what Revel Bikes are, go to revelbikes.com. Basically, a bunch of sickos from the bike industry got together and decided to make better bikes. They use the legendary CBF suspension design, which if you don't know what that is, which most of you probably don't, unless you're, I don't know, I I didn't know what it was, and I still, I've watched a million videos on it. it's unbelievable this the the thought behind this suspension design so full carbon bikes i just bought myself a revel rascal i should have it in the next week here or two uh check out the cbf suspension uh it's the the canfield balance formula um from what i gather in layman's terms it's a really great bike for riding uphill and you don't get a bunch of bob suspension bob and it absolutely rips downhill so i'm super stoked on those bikes really stoked to be working with revel bikes with this podcast Uh, if you want to get your hands on a revel bike and donate to a good cause they are currently doing a giveaway an auction it's not an auction it's a raffle i guess um Go to loveyourbrain.com. Every $5 you donate to loveyourbrain.com, you get a chance to win a Revel, a one-of-a-kind Ranger build, uh, white and pink. Again, loveyourbrain.com, $5 donation. We should all be donating to these things anyway, but um, it supports people affected by traumatic brain injuries. So loveyourbrain.com, X Revel Bikes, $5 donation, and you can win a sick bike for five bucks. So why wouldn't you donate? Um, again, loveyourbrain.com, revelbikes.com. Check out both of them. Really excited to have those guys on. Now to my guest this week, Aaron Bible. Uh, maybe not a name that rings any bells for anybody, but I guarantee you, you've read an article written by this man over the last 20 years. Uh, he is a writer, a photographer, a producer, 
a mountain athlete, a self-proclaimed fun hog. Uh, he writes for Free Skier Magazine, Vanish Outdoors, Paddling Life, Men's Health, Elevation Outdoors Magazine. This guy's gotten more, and I'm going to say free because it's funny to me, but more free equipment than most. Uh, and we talk about that, how nothing is free and everything comes with uh, some type of price. Aaron and I met over the wonderful thing called the Internet. I think he dabbles in some telemark skiing, as most of you know, as do I. Um, so it's fun. We've kept in touch and we've always shared each other's knowledge. And I was really excited to get him on the podcast to just have a conversation. Um, we kind of just talk about the industry, where it's going, what's changing, what's changed over the last 20 years, why it's changing, what's good and bad. Uh, this is less of an interview episode and more of a QA. and um, I'm, I love this episode. It's really fun. We talk about the full tilt thing and, you know, Aaron just gives his opinion. It's not an end all be all, but it's a, it's fun to get someone's aspect and all their opinion, their thoughts. So let us know what you think. Let us know what you think of the episode. Leave a five-star review. Follow Aaron Bible. Uh, let me get his Instagram really quick. At definitely wild. Um, spelled definitely wild. It's very simple. Again, Aaron Bible, check him out. And here he is, Aaron Bible. So Aaron, whenever you're ready, you can kind of okay. introduce yourself to everybody who you are and what you do, and we'll go from there. Okay. Yeah. So I can just introduce myself to you. I'm Aaron Bible. Um and uh, I'm an outdoor industry journalist, and you might call me a media strategist and consultant and um, part-time athlete, dad, writer, photographer, um, and I live in the mountains of Colorado. Yeah, you're literally, and we talked about this a little before, but you're on paper the job that I want to have. You're like, <laughs> you write for, uh, you know, Men's health, men's health, outdoor magazines, uh, adventure journals. You get to test gear. I, I get a lot of free stuff, and I feel like you get a, a ton of free stuff. And then you get to speak about it and have your opinion on it. Um, so, kind of yes. tell us how you, how did that start? How did you get there? Yeah. Um, well, for for starters, one thing I don't really like to call it free gear. Um, I do like to make that differentiation because, um, cause ain't nothing free, you know, like anytime someone sends me something, I have to deliver on it. And there's definitely times where I've accepted product and then you get hounded for months and whatever by the PR people and the brands and they want to know where their story is. And, you know, sometimes people want stuff back and like, so it, there's, it's not free and, you know, and it's not even sponsored, you know, like my wife is a influencer in the interior design world and, you know, they, they tend to use the word sponsored product more in that industry. Um, but yeah, I mean, um, as you said, I've been a gear tester, um, and a gear writer, um, for, I don't even know, um, almost two decades. Um, and, you know, over the years, I've done a lot of different things and written about many different topics, you know, travel and, and events and personality profiles and um, everything from, you know, topics like homelessness and, um, and then, but also been very focused on the outdoor industry and 
told my stories kind of from, um, from an industry standpoint um, that partly happened because I was a trade writer. I, I started out as a kind of a normal outdoor journalist, um, ski bum, paddling bum, and uh, and then got into trade writing. We were paddle, we were publishing a magazine called Paddling Business. It was one of the early trade publications for the paddle sports industry. And so I just had this foundation as a young person out of college in trade writing and business writing. And so then, uh, and, and being an outdoors person, you know, I moved to Colorado right after high school, ran away from home as soon as possible and moved out here and started, you know, teleskiing and fly fishing and climbing and um, just kind of finding my own way, you know, at that time in the nineties. And, um, and then I studied, I was studying biology and ecology and forestry, but realized that really I was a better writer than I was a scientist. You know, like a lot of people, I was doing well in my journalism classes and not so well in my science classes. Um, now I'm going back a long ways to give you this background, but you asked for it. So, um, so then ultimately, I did get kind of pulled into this into this gear and and product writing world. Um, and you know, a lot of people do this like because there is work for it. You know, like even today, like I don't do a ton of just straight gear reviews. I, I don't really pitch them. You know, like I recently, um, I worked on the free skier buyer's guide. I do, I do gear reviews for my site Vanish. Um, it's a, it's a media platform that kind of fuses streetwear and art and culture. It's called vanish.today is the, is the URL. Um, and we've got about probably a half a million followers across a handful of Instagram platforms primary one is vanish.today, same as the website. And we're also, you know, working on apps and, and brand partnerships and, and other, you know, projects. But, um, and then, so, so I guess long story short is because of my trajectory, um, which I just spoke about last week at the Outdoor Media Summit, where I've sort of moved more into consulting, agency work, copywriting, brand content projects, really truly because i am, am a dad now i have a family that started about four years ago with my kids and so um it's it was really more of a nuts and bolts kind of a thing it's like these people over here they're making two hundred fifty thousand dollars, you know creating videos and and websites for these brands and i'm over here making 250 bucks a story working for backpacks you know and like and and shoes and shit so like you know, to again, to taking this answer full circle, it's not free because you can't pay your mortgage with a backpack or a pair of hiking boots. And so at some point you have to make a living and, um, and there's not that many people that have been able to operate at like a really high level strictly in the outdoor industry and make a living. A lot of times when you meet people that do what I do, they're like, oh, I also do PR for the hospital or they are you know a real estate agent or they have some other day job or side hustle that makes a lot of money that allows them to be a journalist and so you know over the years there's really only been like you know a handful of people like myself who have really made a living at this and made a, a multi-decade career out of it um yeah i think you answered a lot on that question and i think <laughs> and i love and I, uh, to backtrack a little, I intentionally said you get a bunch of free stuff, <laughs> baiting you to know that you will say nothing is free. And I think that's, yeah. I think that's important. And I think a lot of our listeners, you know, don't always, and I don't want to say don't understand that, but like, I don't get free skis. Like I, 
I get skis from Blizzard, but I have a job to do. And everyone, you know, that's why yeah. everyone in my outer circle knows the skis I ski. So maybe when they walk into a store, maybe I influence them to pull the trigger on Rustler 10s because that is the ski that I really like. Uh, mm-hmm. And I do really enjoy that ski and I would buy that ski at retail. Um, and that's the real statement, right? It's like people always say that like, and I've said that I've said that in my stories and I've said that to other people. It's like, you see what I'm wearing right now? Like this was a very conscious choice out of like all of the new top end stuff. Like I highly recommend this jacket or this boot or the skis because there's a reason why I'm on it right now. Yeah. And I um, could get it for quote unquote free from a different brand, but this is who I want to work <laughs> with. And this is who, what I want to be on. And I think that's just, you know, credibility factor. Like you can just take all the free stuff and switch brands every year, free stuff, switch brands every year. And there's no credibility, but like when you work with a brand that you believe in and the, hopefully the brand believes in you, you know, that's more of a, that's a different world. Cause you're getting, you're writing articles about these. How do you teeter the line of being like, they're giving it to you to review. Do you ever have like, I shouldn't say that moments? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think as a journalist, we all run into those things and it certainly, everything has become grayer, right. In the last, you know, number of years, I don't know how many years that is, whether it's six or 10, but, um, with the advent of, of digital media and paid content in all of its forms, including social media, sponsored content, et cetera. Not, not that the, not that, not that sponsored content is necessarily new, but you know what I mean? It's certainly a different beast now, affiliate programs, all of that. Um, I would say like I'm, most good publications, they will press you for a ding, right? Like when I was writing for Backpacker, we always had to have something negative to say about every product. It had to have a ding. Nothing is perfect. Nothing is a 10. Um, but let's just say I haven't seen people running a lot of negative reviews. Like, you know, most publishers would rather just not run a review than say, than run a negative review. I've certainly, you know, and, and then it gets, it gets funny. You know, there's some, some of the people that work in PR, they tend to think they kind of control the media, you know, and they really work really hard to, um, to mitigate any negative reviews. Um, so different outlets are different, you know, like some outlets will really come out and lambast a product and, and be very honest and really pick stuff apart in like, especially like in electronics and even in bikes sometimes, but, and then, and then most of it stays pretty friendly, you might say, you know, but, you know, and then like, I think your real question though, and like maybe kind of what came to mind was with the rise of the influencer, how do you, you walk the line of like a benevolent impartial journalist versus an influencer and that has become super sticky for a lot of us um over the years um over the last few years um and it's really funny now i see people all the time on instagram where it's like they're they're kind of like tagline or whatever is like you know sometimes they'll say journalist or they'll say content creator or, or sometimes they'll say blogger or whatever then it's like sponsored by you know scarpa and van do it and blah 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 i'm like so you're sponsored or are you a journalist, you know, cause it's not really both there. And, um, you know, and I mean, I've done the same thing. I've done branded content for many brands. I try to kind of like not put my name on it, but occasionally I will. And it's just the way it is. Yeah. It's really, 
especially now with influencers, sponsored ads, it's the amount of, it could change tomorrow, right? Like if, you know, it's like the old hat switch. Like if Atomic is paying me today and then I take my hat off and Blizzard's paying me tomorrow, where's the credibility and how does it fall? And then specifically for you, a journalist who we're supposed to trust, um, which it's how do you stay, you know, how do you stay neutral? And I think you hit that, but, um, yeah, it's hard. It's hard sometimes, but like, as long as you're like being, you know, being ethical and being true to yourself, like, you know, no one has ever paid me quote unquote to do a story. You know, I mean, um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of controversy though. I mean, there's a lot of brands that take journalists on expensive trips and, and some media outlets won't accept those trips. You know, some media outlets like um, Business Insider, for example, or Wall Street Journal, they, they're not allowed to accept press trips. Um, and Sunset too is the same way. So there are some that, that really have done a better job of drawing that line than others. But, you know, ultimately, like, let's face it, like the media is made to make money. I, I mean, I'll never forget. It was like, I think it was um, maybe my like ninth grade journalism class and my journalism teacher walks in and, and he shakes his pocket and he's got, you know, it's full of change. And he shakes his pocket. He's like, you hear that? That's the sound of a, a newspaper making money because like media has to make money to survive. That's what we do. We sell ads. And so everything that these outlets are doing now, paywalls, custom content, everything else is, you know, arguably the same thing. Yeah. That's an interesting, uh, take and it's funny to think how it's changed even in your career and I don't want to date you but like it was primarily print yeah and then it went full internet you know yeah. full online and now yeah. we're seeing print make a little comeback at least in the right, ski which industry is fun and cool yeah which mm-hmm. is interesting and I think it I think it holds a little more I think print lost got lost because there was so much print yeah. Uh, and now it's it's shrunk, and now we have a couple outlets. And I think as a journalist, print is where you want to be still, right? Like that lasts forever. I mean, for me, it is. I don't know if that's true for everyone. I think probably for, I think maybe everyone kind of has this, this you know, golden egg that they kind of hold up, this print feature idea. I mean, and I don't know if that's me because that's where I came from, and that was always the, the goal. Um, but, I mean, come on, you know, picking up a beautiful, you know, um, adventure journal or one of these other just incredibly gorgeous thick well printed on um, recycled paper you're in there with a very select group of people like there's a there's an editing process that happens with these print magazines that most people just don't can't even conceive of i mean if you're doing your own blog or you're a social media content creator or writing for some you know say less than what we call tier a publications right men's journal like this kind of handful of very high distribution um, publications, you're not getting edited like you do for outside or, or some of these other publications. And um, there's, I mean, these are all like Ivy league um, editors, you know, (laughs) and um, you know, it's like, it's like getting a job at the, the wall street journal or whatever. Like you can criticize media all day long, but these people are way smarter than you. You know, they're talking about multiple <laughs> degrees in like global politics and, and religion and history and, and English. And so, yeah, there's just a different level there. Um, I kind of forget what the original line of questioning was there, though. I think of just if if I mean, it's ba- essentially if print is dead or if the revival is right. important. Right, um, right, right. 
yeah i mean you know we can't say it's dead of course right and um i think it died for a little bit it's almost more like the length of the articles too that they're encouraging and and making possible i mean not that you can't have you know thirty thousand words on the internet but there's but typically we're talking about 500 to 1500 words even in the magazines now I'm still like giving 5,000 words and it comes back to me as, you know, 1200 or something. So, um, you know, I think it's the, our attention spans and our ability to tell longer form stories that has sort of become the, the real goal here. And I think it's just the, at least for me, you know, I might get an adventure journal in the mail and I won't read it for seven days or 12 days or a month because mm-hmm. I'm not mentally in that space to like enjoy it and i and i like that Um, Mm -hmm. i I really enjoy that that i like an internet article someone sends me an article i breeze through it great it's over could be an amazing Mm -hmm. article it doesn't it's just the form that i'm reading it on versus like you know you get the magazine you're like excited which is exciting in itself and then yeah you you feel hopefully the recycled paper that it was printed on and oh they used matte you know it's a real matte instead of glossy finish and and maybe it's just us weirdos that recognize that but then it's like (laughs) i need to be you know a lot of times i have a permanent camp in uh pennsylvania so it's an hour from here but like a lot of times we go up for the weekend and i'll go up a day early and that'll be like my day to like start a campfire at five o'clock there's still daylight and i like it's a whole experience for me and maybe I'm just a weirdo, but I don't get that when it comes to, uh, you know, an internet article, an online article. Yeah. So to oh, me, for sure. I carry those magazines around with me for years, honestly. Like when I pick up my stack of magazines at the outdoor retailer trade show or whatever, like it'll literally, I'll literally refer to those and carry them around and read them for years and, and recycle them and give them to friends and whatever. Yeah. And I just think it's a different, it's a process. It's a different, you have to be in the right mindset to like, and it's something you, you put time away for to at least me right. to, right. to enjoy. Um, yeah. So I, th- yeah, I'm excited for what's happening with print. Um, yeah. I've been trying, I hate, I shouldn't say I hate, but it's definitely put a strain on my bank account. Cause I'm trying to support all of them, especially being a, a media person now. Uh, right, which I, and writing a check for eighty bucks or whatever isn't always the easiest thing to do. And they all hit yeah. at the same time, and I'm like, man, spread them out so I can like hit pay, you know, Adventure Journal then and Mountain Gazette then, and you know, I can hit them all well, differently. So and hilariously, like back in the day when I was first doing the print stuff, if you had an article published in like Ski or something, they would send you like three copies, right, with a note and a check. Now you don't even get one copy. Like the editor won't even write you back. They'll be like, you can go to Barnes and Noble and try to find it just like everybody else. I like, had it, some, is, it has changed dramatically. I had some uh, photo work published from Lakey ski poles and same thing. I had to like, find. I was like, if you can just tell me where to find them. And then like <laughs> people, I mean, fortunate the internet, we have like, you know, friends that are like hey dude this is your photo and i was like yeah like check the corner it should have my name on it somewhere but like so it is funny like you think you don't even know because you sign at least for some photo stuff you sign your life away and they can use it on hopefully only twice but or whatever you sign but sometimes they can run that ad 
a million times over the next three months and it's great, but yeah. it's also, it's funny cause you don't always know where it ends up. And like you get paid $250 for that photo and then, and they, and they make 250 million. Oh, all day, every day. You know, I'm just trying to find a gas station that accepts exposure. Cause I've got like <laughs> 5 billion exposure points. And I just want to like scan my car. Yeah. I'm trying. Yeah, maybe they'll take a maybe they'll take a backpack too. Oh God, I got too many. Although I have done plenty of gear trades, you know, I try to avoid selling gear, but I've certainly traded my way into many, um, you know, fun situations. Yeah, last uh, year I did a garage sale, like online garage sale, and I just traded for burritos, and it was amazing. <laughs> I like we have a little small. It's called the Bike and Bean in Ellicottville, and it's a bike shop that does burritos. And I was like anyone who bought anything from me in Elkville just bought me like just buy me burritos because now you're supporting him i need to eat perfect this is my world of trading burritos um, oh wait i only trade weed and firewood that counts too well you're in colorado <laughs> <laughs> you're in colorado you can do that yeah. um you went to outdoor media summit yeah yeah. How was it this year? It was canceled last year, I believe, right? Right. It's canceled last year. You um, were a speaker this year. Yes. Yeah. And I had, I had done the speaker job um, four years ago in Bentonville. Um, and I, um, you know, I worked with Yoon for a number of years. And um, and in fact, I used to do content for Yoon also for some of his brand clients. And um, so he's just such a great guy and really smart. Um, and I was very impressed with the way the conference had evolved. Um, you know, initially when it came out as like the outdoor blogger summit, um, I was kind of less interested just because I didn't really consider myself a blogger and that's sort of a different audience. And, you know, you've got a lot of standalone, you know, like a one man blog that some of these guys are making, you know, six figures. It's great, you know, and then others are kind of trying to figure out how to monetize and that kind of thing. And so it was a little bit of a different audience, but um, but I didn't did ended up getting involved and, and working closely with you and um, you know, helping you and bring in some of the other like um, VIP journalists and really trying to put together a great program. And this year, like I said, I was super impressed. Like we had um, almost like a lot of the staff from from the new outside um, and Robin um, uh, Thurston, uh, not McKibbins, Rob, uh, the new CEO of Outside, Robin, the new owner of Outside, um, spoke as one of the keynote speakers and. It's just really, really interesting. I mean, the statistics these guys have from like post-COVID um, sales data and consumer engagement and stuff—it's really fascinating stuff. Um, and um, it's just a really, and obviously, it's like the key media story of the year, um, kind of a conglomeration, you know, story. Um, and then they also had um, the president of the Outdoor Industry Association, which is also a very big win for any conference. Um, and she spoke a lot about, again, the economy, diversity, um, global climate change, like, you know, there's just so many hard hitting topics. And so, you know, the important thing is like, you don't sit in these rooms for three days, kind of blowing smoke up each other's ass and repeating the same topics from every year and then go away and nothing changes. Right. That's sort of the, the fear. Um, and it's a very real fear, you know, um, Dirk Sorensen also spoke from, from NPD, the data group. Um, that was that was really awesome. He he, he actually led a panel um, of of key media um, with like sort of the top tier media there. Um, and uh, yeah, what else can I answer about that? Is it 
I guess just initially, is, is it open to public or do, is it invite? You have to pay. You just have to pay. But it's anyone a ticketed event. Anyone can go. Uh-huh. Uh, it's a it's like a learning conference. Like I don't attend a ton of these conferences like this, but I'm I understand that a lot of these conferences, these like professional development conferences, are quite similar in format. Um, and so one cool thing is like the speakers. It's all it's about it's about going to these um these seminars, you know. And so typically they're very um, practical learning based. It's like how to increase your, um, you know, presence with Google AdWords or how to start a Facebook group. You know, we had Ali and Jenna there from Basecamp this year and, and Jenna let a talk on like how to use a Facebook group to you know leverage your business or whatever. So it's all it's a lot of nuts and bolts stuff that people really can appreciate and take away to their own businesses. And then are there brands there as well? I think people yeah. and maybe it's just me, but like there's OR and then there's outdoor media summit, which I know are completely different things, but like yeah. can kind of be confused. I think I, I mean, yeah, OR is a buying outside show. It could be confusing. Yeah. I mean, cause there's a couple others that could, you could kind of get confused about in there. Um, cause for a while there was, um, there was a thing called bike camp and, um, and bike camp was sort of like an OR. It was like, and so then, and so then Kenji, who used to be the president of outdoor retailer, he launched Press Camp, which ran in conjunction with Bike Camp, and Kenji is also involved with Outdoor Media Summit. So, you know, like as we know, and like part of our conversation will surely, you know, touch on. It's like it's a small world, it's a small industry, and um, so yes, OMS does have a brand component because um, there's media there. Brands want media exposure and um, relationships, and so it's a great opportunity for a brand to buy in and, and, and touch those media for three days and have dinners and. You know, because these events are really special, you know, whether it's like a press event with a group of journalists or like a one on one thing with a brand or an outdoor retailer party or dinner or whatever. It's like there's a lot of personal interaction, you know, um, you have dinners and lunches and meetings with people for three days in a row. It's like you're dating, you know, you get very <laughs> close to people and get to know them very well. And um, and, you know, it's it's almost like. You know, I always say like most of the interactions, the important relationships in the outdoor industry are formed on the ski hill in the yeti on the around the campfire you know and there's nothing that can take that away you know you will never have like credibility or um respect or any or or whatever you want to call it in the outdoor industry unless you're out there um and that's partly why it became this kind of like exclusive group it was never intended to exclude anyone it was just the fact that like you had to have access you had to be able to get out there you had to want to be out there and want to suffer a little bit in numerous ways and um and and so that was kind of how it formed right and that's why everyone sort of works their way up and um works their way around within the industry and you know to become a rep you start as a retailer you start as a pro you you know so like it's all about getting out there um and i said this on jenna's and ali's podcast too you know it's like People are always like, oh, how do I work in the outdoor industry? It's like, go be a raft guide and, or, you know, for three years, live out of your Subaru and get back to me. You know, <laughs> um, you know, this is not like a, a, an entry level startup thing. You know, that's, that's, the, that's the diffusion of the outdoor industry is by having non-authentic people working these jobs. I mean, I've had brand managers at billion dollar brands that have never even been camping. You know, I'm like, what the fuck is this? Yeah, I think that's changing. I hope it's changing. Um, just like we're getting more real humans in the industry. I think people are getting called out on their, mm. they're getting called on their bluff maybe. 
and maybe I'm wrong. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I, and it's like, I'm not, I'm not being exclusive. Like I'm not saying that it's right that we've ever tried to perfectly purposefully exclude anyone. I understand all of these concerns and like, I'm here to do the hard work and make the changes. Um, I think it's great that it's all bringing, being brought to our attention and that people are trying to make changes. Um, so what's the, uh, what's the vibe at OMS? Is it like hmm. open, open forum? So I know I interviewed, uh, Nicole Feliciano. She is the CEO of mom trends. Okay. And I know she attended and I haven't spoke with her about it cause I'd like to get her opinion. But even me getting her opinion when I interviewed her on, you know, if you think of ski marketing, it's it's marketed to like 30 year old dudes. Right. Like you drop these cliffs and you do these things. And talking to Cole was like, why are you guys marketing to them? They're going market to me with my three kids. So I'm interested to hear her. Uh, yeah. take what on OMS. Took, took away. Yeah. And, yeah. I mean, like all that said, like, I think it was a little tense, you know, just like it's the same way that outdoor retailer was a little bit tense, you know, not just because of COVID man, like outdoor retailer was tense a little bit because of COVID and no one knowing who was going to show up, but like things are tense because there's difficult conversations happening. And, um, you know, there's a lot of like this, like this, like middle-aged white man controlling things is just not going over well anymore, you know? <laughs> and like, and I think it's great, you know? Um, yeah, it's, it's great. And it's, um, I don't want to say it's scary cause I'm happy that it's all happening, but like, you know, having I'm on, I'm recording every week with someone else and I have to be cautious what I say, not because I'm, rude or racist or but like i could be ignorant and i'm just trying to learn and i love that we're finally having these conversations but it does sometimes make it tense and that's not a woe is me that's not a um you know you are it is tiptoey but god it'd be nice to just shut our phones off and lock everyone in a room and be like all right this is it and then no one gets burned for anything they say and we can just mm-hmm. hopefully learn because that's all we're trying to do. And yeah, yeah. And we're all just human. And I've heard a lot of, you know, conversations that just even among friend groups around, you know, the campfire or whatever else, people trying to figure this stuff out, you know. And um, so it's, yeah, it's tough to get mixed up between ignorant or uninformed and, and then, you know, actually hostile. Um, but I think it's like really important to be open-minded and um, to stop talking, right? And to listen and um, and just try to understand it and <clears throat> place yourself in a historical context that like this this um this way of life that these like conservative people are you know continue to like fight for is just not the way it is anymore. And so why not embrace a better way of life? Right. Um, that's a great way to, um, clearly you're a journalist and, uh, well-spoken cause that's a beautiful way to put it. Like maybe that's how things were, but that doesn't yeah. make it right. We're not going to shun you because that's how things were, but maybe just, but we're not going to accept that anymore. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I thought Dwayne Raleigh and his resignation letter from rock and ice, uh, that was a really well written letter that got a lot of commentary. Um, you know, he resigned in the face of this stuff. He was like, 
I got to where I was because of my privilege. He was like, I, you know, he felt partially responsible for it and, um, and he just couldn't do it anymore. And, uh, and the commentary on the digital version of that letter was obscene. It was, a, it was very sad. There is a lot of conservative people in the outdoor industry. Now I'm not talking about the fish crowd either. I'm talking about like climbers and um, old school outdoorists in our industry who are, who are just like very conservative. I mean, not even using the word racist, but like, if you're, if you're not anti-racist, you're racist. Yeah. And I agree. Um, and, um, I was very disappointed in that, but I was also very proud of Dwayne for the stand he took. Yeah. And it takes people like Dwayne to do that, right. To say, to like lead by example, cause he could have easily sat in his role. Um, you know, yeah indefinitely and then other people were like oh you shouldn't quit you should keep working hard to keep making a difference and I, and I get that perspective too and that's why everybody has their opinion but but i think it was harder to walk away uh and it led by example because right. now right. he's not a hypocrite like i think that's right. exactly that's one of my yeah. biggest fears in life like taking full responsibility for it and saying you know it's time for the next generation to lead which yeah I think is cool. and it's it's happening and it's not going to happen overnight and it's really exciting and even to touch on uh, Jabber, the the creator of all this out of bounds, whatever we oh. are, uh, his name's Adam Jabber. He's uh, he's Muslim. His family's Muslim, and like he tells stories of his father. He was Adam was young, obviously, but his father not getting accounts from certain reps purely because he was Muslim. And it's like crazy that like I didn't have to live through any of that, and now they own a giant business but like the suffering that his dad went to went through to open a ski shop which should just be right. fun like if you're a rep and someone wants to buy your shit why wouldn't you sell them right. <laughs> but it's it's right. so it's not just it's not just on these corporate levels it's it's everywhere and and jabber doesn't tell his story enough uh so i'll speak for him a little bit but like some mm. of the stories he's told me that what his family even his sister's work in the store and they wear their uh you know traditional garb uh i forget the name of it um but like he'll tell stories how people won't listen to their advice and it's like this girl grew up in the ski industry she knows more Mm. about that tech she could spout off every and it's crazy it's still happening Mm um and yeah it's gotta be tough to be a a minority in the ski industry of of any industry i think the ski industry has probably got to be the hardest um and I think it's getting better. I think we're shining light on it. And there's some things that I, I can't even relate to. Even, I mean, we can go and talk about, you know, the renaming of Squaw. Right, right. That's that's interesting. And that's a great one, right? I mean, that's such a, I feel like that's a real win. Um, and, sure. and that's one that we can relate to as skiers, you know, versus like uh, changing the Washington Redskins name or whatever like that, you know. Um, yeah, I think it's, they didn't have to do it. Um, and I, but I think they did it and they did it properly and they, it wasn't a knee jerk. That's what I really enjoy yeah. the most about, um, them changing their name is that it wasn't, it wasn't a knee jerk reaction. They acknowledged it. They said, we're going to change it. They took a year. They thought about it. They spoke with locals. They had a brilliant ad agency. Uh, mm. and then they did a proper rollout, which I think, yeah, it seemed it seemed it seemed uh, purposeful and successful to me. Now, versus what I've kind of had a bad taste in my mouth about the Dirty Kansas name change, where I thought, 
it was um they had they were they were under pressure and had ignored requests to change the name for years and they're owned by a corporation now and um you know they just thought they could like flip a switch and change the name and everyone followed along no one ever questioned it it's like it's like oh you guys were actually like you know throwing away letters from indigenous people asking you to change the name for years then you finally get like publicly put in a position where you have to and it's just this cash machine that just keeps on turning and everybody still wants to come and support you and do your race or whatever like i don't know i felt like people kind of forgave that one a little too easily yeah and Um, i think yeah there's just a right and wrong way to do it and uh hats off to everyone at i think it's called palisades something now but like for doing it properly well, I think there should be like a major donation made or a major change made. You know, it's not just about the name. Right, for sure. And that's, you know, on the other side of that, not to be, but to play devil's at, is where does it end, right? Like where everyone's offended about everything. And I'm not saying that's me, but I'm speaking for, you know, where does it end? Where, you know, when we can't, we're changing Disney well, then you films. start talking about reparations and that does get very slippery. And right. Obviously, I don't know the right answer to that. But. No. And it, but I think it's just not fun, but it's so, it's something that we that I just wanted to shine light on, you know, as simple as you watch a Disney film now and Snow White's smoking a cigarette or whatever, you know, and it's like there has to be like a warning now. And it's just it's it's interesting and that's different yeah. entirely. But it's like a yeah. it's the world is changing and I think it's changing for the better. Yeah. Um I don't know the answers. Clearly, you don't know the answers either, nor should we. Uh, I think the biggest thing you said is, I don't think you said shut up, but you said basically shut up and listen. And that's, mm-hmm. to me, is a giant takeaway. Yeah. yeah. And like I mentioned to you, you know, before we started recording too, about like how um, I've been doing this for, you know, a couple of decades now, and I somehow have now become a middle-aged white man myself, which I don't quite know exactly how that happened, nor am I very happy about it. Because like living the life that I've led, I've sort of been in this like perpetual ski bum, dirtbag journalist kind of mentality. And, and, and I liked it very much, you know, and then all of a sudden it's like, wait, now you're in your forties and now you're approaching 50 and like, you know, where do you fit in? And, um, you know, we all have a lifespan in this industry. Um, I'm not saying that I'm like aging out or anything, but I would love to like mentor someone, you know, younger than me and someone who deserves their, their place in this world that, you know, I've helped create. And um, so, yeah. Yeah. I think it's, and I think there's a lot to learn from the younger kids, right? Cause you could easily age out at 50 and be the bitter old guy. Uh, that is not you. Yeah, knowing I never you. wanted to do that. Yeah, uh, I've known. I've I've had a lot of respect for all the curm- curmudgeons in my life, but I never wanted to be that. Yeah, it's um, it's scary, and now and it's a different world for you too. Having a family that like you need to provide. It's different yeah. when you're a dirtbag and you're living. Yeah, in it's your not Subaru. a joke. It's not. It's not a joke anymore. Like, yeah, I mean, as because we were joking earlier, and like, yes, I could trade a pair of skis for my rent but but no I'm, i can't do that i'm not doing that you know yeah you've also done i don't know if i don't think we touched on it while we were recording you've done a very great job circling back to you uh you're not just a ski writer you're not just a 
Like you are, most people are, you have your niche, right? That's your market. You talk about skiing. You're a ski journalist. That's what you do. You talk about mountain biking. You talk about hiking. I think you do some kayaking stuff, skiing. Mm-hmm. Was that a conscious choice? Um, no, it wasn't a conscious choice. I always wanted to be a ski rider ever since I was like, I don't know, maybe 15, 16 years old when I first started skiing. Cause I didn't grow up skiing. You know, I grew up in the South and in the Midwest and we were pretty poor. And so, um, you know, I wasn't like a spoiled kid. I didn't have a house in Vail, you know, I didn't grow up skiing. Um, and so that was something I did on my own. And so that was sort of part of my journey. Um, and part of my writing and, you know, the way I talk about gear and product is like, you know, I would have to scrape and starve and um, buy a used jacket. You know, I mean, I had a, like a used mountain hardware jacket that I bought from Wilderness Exchange in Denver and used that thing for like 10 years. You know, that was also like my motorcycle jacket. Like, you know, I was poor and I had to work really hard and scrap and save and, and buy my gear. If I met someone that had like two sleeping bags or two headlamps, I was like, oh, you're rich, you know, <laughs> Um so I don't know. I think it's important just to realize that this stuff is expensive and that you are privileged to get to do this stuff. Not that everyone shouldn't be out there enjoying the outdoors, but I mean, you go, go into the store right now and start ice climbing. You know, you better have a big credit limit. Um, yeah. I, I thought, I didn't know if you were going to continue there, but yeah, yeah I it's, didn't know it's true. It's true. It's like, there is, it's expensive and it's and besides it even being even if you have the money it's scary um it's terrifying to like join to just like yeah show up anywhere i just bought yeah. the coolest thing though that i see young kids doing nowadays though is like actually getting out and doing it like i love seeing these like as critical as i am sometimes of like the gen z kids just for being idiots and being like tech natives and just like basically being in functional um, <laughs> but, um, I actually, there are a lot of great kids out there. And when I see people like taking advantage of their time off, you know, like getting out and spending like months of, at a time out there and traveling and living like a dirtbag, like, man, time is your biggest asset. Right. And especially when you're young, like live cheap and really experience those things. Um, and they have access to all the digital media that we don't have or didn't have. I mean, you know, like, um, when I was doing van life, when I was, you know, I had, I've had four vans, maybe five. And like, you know, we weren't documenting this stuff, you know, now you can make, you make a hundred thousand dollars a year easy as an influencer, you know, and and getting free travel and, or comp to travel and all this other stuff. And so, yeah, it's just so different out there, man. I have so much respect for young people. Like there's young people, you know, not, you don't have to be a Gen Z millennial, whatever, like that are like, you know, they're creating websites and photo shoots. Like most of the videographers I work with are 20 years younger than me. Um, you know, there's some hustlers out there. So yeah, there's a lot of opportunity. Yeah. And it's so, yeah, that's it. And I think people need to live that a little bit and they, they don't have to have most things now are so calculated. Right. And like you talked about getting into the ski industry or the outdoor industry and you said, go be a guide for two years, go be yeah. Cause that's how it happens. It's a, it's the good yeah, thing you have is to be inspired for it. Right. It's like, I want to live outside. I want to live under the stars and ski as many days as possible. How do I make that happen? Let's work backwards from that. If you're trying to make money, don't even listen to this podcast. Don't even talk to me because <laughs> if money is your priority, you should be in business. You should be in finance. You should be in law. 
you should be in real estate. Right. I, I, you know, and I think that's, you know, I value time. Time is money. So the fact that I have freedoms and I can pay all my yeah. bills and live a pretty good life and still ski a hundred days a year. And now new to me again, mountain biking, I found a new love for that, which is like, it's been, it's so exciting for me that that's been a new thing in my life. But again, crazy money, uh, crazy time. And if you don't have money, at least you have time <laughs> for me. Um, and it's been, yeah. it's been amazing, but it's a sacrifice. There's plenty of conversations I've had with my, you know, my friends who are engineers, we'll say, or, yeah. you know, my buddy works in a factory. He's, he didn't finish college and he works in a factory, makes six figures a year, earns it. You know, he works overtime and, but like, there's plenty of days where he's like, man, I wish I had what you had. And I'm like, well, I'd love, stuff. I'd love to have what you have. So I think it's just compromise. Yeah, you'd love to have a job that you could leave at the door when you walked out. And that's one thing that I would like to have. Maybe, I don't know. The grass is always greener. Yeah. But, maybe um, someday. <laughs> and it's, and it's always being on, right? Like I, you know, even with this podcast and I can only speak for me, but like there's days that I set, I schedule something three weeks in advance and that, that day comes around and I don't want to record. I'm crabby. Yeah, I'm there's a mood factor for sure, but I don't yeah. want to, I don't want to creative. It's hard. Like, so you have to be on and you have to give your guest the benefit of the doubt, right? Like I, just because I'm having a bad day, I'm, you're giving me an hour of your time and I owe it to you to do my best. Um, right. And I can't even relate to being, and this is a super swerve, but being, you know, Ashton Kutcher, like you can't, you can't go to the supermarket. Like you have to right. be on cause no one knows that you're just Ashton and you're shopping for your kids who are sick, you know, and I'm not saying I'm them, but it's, a, it's different. And it's, uh, so you sacrifice, you know, my buddy clocks out of work and if he gets 10 days paid vacation, he's gone. He doesn't have to do no thought. No. Right. So, right. I can't even tell you that how many I, I've probably worked on every holiday. I've there's I can only think of like maybe two or three holidays over the last twenty years I haven't worked. Yeah, and you it's know? and that's okay because then I'm skiing powder on a Monday or whatever. Exactly. But, um yeah, it's a choice and uh it's not for everyone. And it's I'm fortunate and I love it and I don't know if I'll ever work a real job again. So I'm glad for that. <laughs> but it's still a job, so I don't know. Yeah. It is what it is. Um, we talked about it a little bit, we got to talk about it because it is a hot take that's going on right now. And you are an industry outsider, industry, professional industry, insider, whatever you want to call it. Full tilt is dead. Uh, it's getting absorbed by K2. Do you have a hot take on it at all? You know, I, I think I mentioned you briefly. I don't have a real opinion on it. Um, it's a little that's a little alpine focused for my specific expertise you might say but um i mean k2 has been uh up and down company for years you know they've they've definitely haven't had it easy i mean i i'm a fan of the brand i've had a lot of great friends that have come up through the brand i have no hate for that brand um but uh you know that's a big company they're owned by a bigger company and so um you know sometimes these financial decisions have to be made and i mean Maybe if I was like a core full tilt fan, I might feel a little bit differently. Um, and I know that I, I know that, that those people are out there and I get it. Um, 
but it uh, it's kind of like the way it is, you know, you win some, you lose some. Yeah, I think I'm, I might recommend a nice lightweight pair of uh, Dina fit boots. So those people post. <laughs> <laughs> I think here's what I think will happen. Not that anyone cares about my opinion, but I think they're going to they'll absorb it into the brand, which is fine. Um, put K2 on a couple of their boots. Let the brand the full tilt name die. Like sunset that name over the next year or two. Yeah. Yep. Then sell the brand. And I think you'll see a couple pro athletes try to revive this brand. Um, mm. That is my. There's enough of a passion there. Yeah. I think it's profitable. I mean, I guess, um, you know, I and for, yeah. for and K2, they can make it profitable on a micro level, you know. I think um, for K2, they didn't. It was like one of the few factories uh, that they didn't own. Uh, don't quote mm. me on that, but I think, uh, okay. and I don't think they had the ability to own it uh, in mm. some way, shape, or form. And they couldn't take their molds elsewhere. I don't know. But I think mm -hmm. um, from what the research I've done, so that's like the one thing they're totally not 100% in control of. And again, as you said, it's just higher ups. They're not looking at it as full tilt, the brand, the culture. They're looking at it as brand 60173. Yeah. You know, like it's. It's a balance sheet. And, um, but you know what I am excited about though is all of the eco manufacturing going on. You know all of like the the bio based plastics being used in the ski boots now, and the bio based resins. And there's a there's there's got to be a half dozen companies now focusing on sustainable ski building, um, which is I think even more important considering like the disposableness of all of these products. Um, and even brands like we'll use season equipment, who yeah. are. They don't want you to buy a new ski every year. They, <laughs> right. You know, these new skis, and even, you know, me, I'm sure you get new skis every year, and they're not any different. Um, it's the <laughs> same ski. You know, I still want them. But, right. Uh, <laughs> but most of the time, especially for the general yeah. public, and for us, we ski enough that, like, you know, you take a two by four and flex it a million times. It's not you the same. wear it out. Yeah. But yeah. I think people, they recently heard they're saying, you know, they like to say about 40 days on a ski. Right. Which um, for which us, I think a ski longer than that, but um, and that's a materials thing, and hopefully we get there. But, and, um, and how aggressive you ski on it, of course, right? Um, and and if you take care of it or not, you know, but um, right, they are meant to be used outdoors. I'm not I'm not a big babier of equipment. I mean, um, even even when I pay for skis, which I certainly have, you know, they are an outdoor toy. All so. skis are rock skis. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. You know, my knees aren't aren't rock knees anymore, so that's what I have to be more <laughs> conscious of. But um, that's great. Yeah. No, it's it is fun, and it's fun to see brands uh, again, specifically like Season, because I I you know Josh is a friend of mine, and mm -hmm. uh, I I have his his take on it, so I can speak for that a little bit. But like, we don't. You know, majority of consumers shouldn't have to feel that they need to buy new skis every year. Um, sure. And I like to think of that even more as like, okay, instead oh, that's, of thousand dollars, you know, but even like, okay, if you were going to buy a new ski next year, instead of buying a new ski, go check out, like get an indie pass or get a magic pass and like, check out these smaller, more niche resorts. Cause they can use the money. So like spend the money cause you have it put exactly. aside or you want to, but, uh, and yeah, I don't you think can take a pretty sweet ski trip for $899 or whatever. Yeah. Right. 
And I don't think, you know, they're not selling it like that, which wouldn't be a good pitch to them. And that's purely my pitch is like, okay, you bought new skis last year. They're great. The graphics didn't change. There's no need to want another ski. Now use it somewhere cool with your friends, you know, like go use it. And yeah, yeah exactly. Which leads me to my same with, same with jackets too. I and boots, man. I mean, it's like, where the, where the boot out, you know, like, yeah, I, I've, that's why I go back to the guide thing. It's because it's like, I see guides out there that are like destroying equipment. Like these are the true consumers of the industry. You know, not like some journalist sitting at a desk in Boulder who doesn't, you know, wearing their testing boots around the office. Like, you know, these guys are wearing soles out and replacing them. Yeah. And not um, getting new ones because they don't want to right. go through the process I have of a, replacing. I have a buddy who's like, a, you know, he doesn't work in the outdoor industry, but he does. He's way more hardcore than, you know, most people in the industry. And like, you know, he's like sending his boots back to get resold because they fit him, you know, because they know he's going to, they're going to save his ass when he's on Aconcagua, you know? So like, yeah, it's, that's why, again, I go back to just like, you have to get out there. Um, yeah. Break a, break a bike, break a pair of skis and then get back to me. Yeah. It's, um, and it's fun. It's like a sense of pride, right. For like trashing, like an old pair of gloves that you've just used for, they've yeah. taken you everywhere. It's got a story. Um, it's fun. And it's, it's sometimes the downfall of being in the industry is you're, you know, you I don't... too much new stuff. Yeah. I mean, the glove market specifically seems to be really exploding. Everyone wanted to cash in like fly low, obviously was the first one to kind of capitalize on the Kenco. Right. And, and now it's like, everybody, makes a work glove, you know, which is great. They're my favorite glove, but yeah. um, it's just a bit much. And I love, I mean, specifically the fly low that they're affordable. Um, you know, Hestra, oh, yeah, $200 Flylo, Hestra, well, I think. Flylo was like 17 bucks or something, yeah. right? Like, I think they're yeah. like 47 now. They're still, or they were, yeah, I mean, they used to be, yeah, they were like 29 or something when the kids But still, 50 like, bucks for a pair of good gloves, worth it all day. Yeah. Um, Not you know, 120 or whatever. But, yeah, I think um, Hestra. Then there's something really nice about a nice pair of Hestra gloves too. Oh, you know, they're and amazing, like, but they're not for everybody. And I think last you a lifetime, you know. Exactly. Um what are your thoughts on iPod, uh, Epic and Icon? That's a general blanket um, statement. Okay. Well, I, I mean, I am not going to, I don't have enough time to like <laughs> talk about, you know, corporate skiing right now. Um, you know, I think traffic is a big problem. Um, I think climate change is a big problem. I think that both of those brands, both of those conglomerates are, you know, trying to get more people skiing. They're trying to make money. They're trying to, you know, the ski industry is not flush necessarily. I mean, some people of course do, you know, make more than others, but they are trying to keep this industry alive. They're trying to keep these resorts open. And if more people can afford to have a ski pass, more people go skiing, you know, I cannot begrudge that. Which one is better? I don't know. It's the one that you're going to use more, you know, like I, I like Epic. I think like, I don't want to sit in traffic. I don't want to sit in ski lines, but I want to ski at those areas. And if it allows me to do that, then, then that's great. I'm definitely going to have an Epic pass this year. And I'm really excited about seeing some other resorts, hopefully right after COVID. Um, Icon, I like Icon a lot. Um, I think, you know, there's like the, the powder corp group, I think is doing a really great job at investing in their resorts and investing in people and putting improvements in. Um, so yeah, I just think we have to be careful. You know, it's like even the big resorts that seem to be doing a good job, like secretly behind the scenes, like they're invested in the evil stuff too. You know, um, you, you know, like I'm talking about Aspen right now and Jackson, like you got to watch out for these, for these, the leadership. Um, but 
overall, you know, I think we need to like start taking more buses and talk and and just reducing our footprint while still trying to to get out and enjoy ourselves and live our lives. Yeah, I like the term. It's almost a necessary evil, um, mm-hmm. and it's. I've been an icon holder. Last year was the first year I didn't get an icon purely because of COVID and travel. And I didn't know how much I was going to be doing. Um, But it makes skiing affordable for me. Uh, If I get icon because normally I, I work a lot in California. So I usually fly out a week earlier and go to, uh, I I don't know the name of new squaw, but Palisades, whatever it's called. Um, So for me, it's, it pays for itself right there. Um, that being said, I, you know, I, I really try to get these independent smaller resorts and I try to check them out yeah. and I've been just, yeah, I like, I like, I like the family ski areas, man. I like the a basins. I like the powder mountains. I like the North stars, you know, I like the small mountains. They're fun. They're so awesome. It's what skiing is all about. You know, it's about like, you know, smoking a bowl in the parking lot, letting your dog run around and, you know, bag lunches and, Um, so that's just me, you know, I also like to ride lifts and I like to ride helicopters and all that, but, um, it definitely, you know, deep passion and respect for the small resorts. Yeah. It's, um, it's interesting because it's so easy to hate. Uh, and I don't talk to everyone about it because they'll just bash it. And I knew you, you wouldn't, um, which is nice because it's, I don't know. I, I do think it's a necessary evil and I think it gets a lot of people skiing, which is great. I don't know how to throttle it necessarily. Uh, reservation systems didn't work. Uh, yeah. I don't know about reservation systems. I yeah. I think some resorts are probably going to stick with it this year. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I think a lot. That was just a tough year all over. Right. Like I think everything is different now. That's, that's all I can say. Exactly. That, like, and we changed can, everything. And yeah, I don't know. It'll be, it'll be interesting. Um, did you see a backcountry boom in where you are? Because it's insane where I am. Um, yes, we did. We did. We did. I think there's a, some varying opinion there. I mean, I think everybody agrees there was a boom, right? There was definitely the equipment boom and the trailhead boom. I think one of the big question marks remains is, was it crowded because people were taking separate cars or because there was more people? And if you are willing to go a little bit further, is it still like, you know, can you still find solitude and find what you're looking for if you're willing to go, you know, a mile or two past the trailhead? I think the answer is yes. I think it depends. You know, I think people that are younger and fitter and don't have kids have an advantage, you know, because if you can go earlier, you can go further then great. We're not talking about you, right? We're talking about 80% of the population that needs those trailheads. So um, yes, that's going to managing that is, is like the key to the next, um, phase of the industry, you know, like here's, here's some COVID numbers, um, 170% increase in fitness equipment, 63% increase in bicycle sales, 31% increase in camping equipment. That's, that's what I have here. Um, so, you know, that doesn't include skiing as general outdoor, but right. like, um, you know, skins were sold out for the first time ever last year, you know, like all kinds of weird things like, um, so my, Everything is different now. There's no predicting it. Like, you know, from, from supply chain to users, like um, it's a wild west. My biggest thing um, with backcountry skiing or whatever you want to call it, side country, backcountry, is lack of education. Um, yeah. And I work at a ski shop in Ellicottville, and we're only on 800 foot of vertical. No one's skiing backcountry they're walking up right. a, 
uh, a molehill and carving turns hopefully and, and going down a groomer um the problem with that is is people are selling these uphill kits ski shops mine included um and not educating their consumer on how on to, how do to use the gear or where to go and how to go. They know how to use it, but they don't understand. Like if you're going down, like we had a lot of people walking up like the diamond, right. which that's an etiquette thing, not right. a safety thing necessarily. Yeah. Not even, I'm not even saying safety education. I'm just saying just education. education. Like, yeah. Hey, mm -hmm. if you're going down X the trail, changing sport, changing demographic. On yeah. The mountain, so changing. that's what I've been, um, you know, when I'm selling an uphill setup, I give them not my Intel, but like, here's a route to go up. Here's yeah, a way to get to that point. Stuff. Yeah, that's great. Um, because well, there's people like Crux Academy are really making a difference on stuff like that. Like there's definitely some other facets that are stepping in on the education side if retailers aren't doing it. Um, yeah, and I think Bluebird, there's tools. Bluebird Backcountry, for example. Amazing. You know? mm -hmm. But I think a lot of those are more actual backcountry focused and i would love to see and i don't know the stats so maybe i'm wrong but the number of like uphill downhill accidents last year at ski mm -hmm. resorts during operating hours because it's yeah i haven't seen that stat I, i'd be i'm sure it exists it. um yeah and I'm gonna, there's something like it exists yeah because uh, that's some of that stuff maybe not get reported there's probably a lot of close calls and stuff but it's, yeah it's an issue i get it and i just um and I'm just saying it out loud for people to hear it because I think we as industry people get snubby about Intel and you can't. But it's like, you know, there's certain things that you can teach people without like give them the tools to learn. And that's yeah. what, um, you know, my big thing with the outdoor or with backcountry skiing specifically, people aren't going to find my spots like I do enough research and enough, I look at enough topo maps, like, I'm not worried about you finding my gem. My line, right. You know, like, I'm worried about you ruining it for everyone. And that's a selfish way, but I also, yeah. I just want you to be educated so that you can understand. If I'm coming, if I went up a chairlift at noon on a Tuesday, and I'm barreling down a diamond, and it's a blind drop. I can't see you, nor am I even thinking that you're anywhere walking up this hill, which sure I right. should look before I leap, but let's use common sense. No mm -hmm. one's we're ripping. We're going downhill motions. Um, sure. So that's, that's been my yeah. big education. The, the counterpoint to that I might say though, is that I really like it when people use their um, backcountry gear at the ski resorts because it, then they get a chance to use it and ski on it. Because more so than like say backcountry safety education is is experience as a skier. I think it's much more important to have a solid kick turn than it is to have a level one avi. I think that if you if you're out there skiing with people safely and in a confident and comfortable group for years, that is you're going to learn more about route finding and safety than you will just going and taking a level one avi class and then thinking you're a backcountry skier. And that's, I think we're saying the same thing, to be honest. I love the people at the resort going up. I just, these ski shops, um, you have to just, they don't, you, they don't know what they don't know. So if they think they're getting a better workout because they're walking up a diamond, it's like, no, walk up the green because it's line of sight and you can see skiers coming at you and they can see you walking up. And, but yeah, time on gear. Some of that's going to be on the resort too. I think, you know, I think we've, I've had this conversation with like Hendy, 
you know, there is a changing demographic at these resorts and it's, it's the opportunity of the resorts to take, right? Like you can sell these people grilled cheeses outside, you know, it's COVID safe. You can give them places to ski uphill. Um, you know, I think people should be charged to ski uphill at, at resorts. I never understood why everyone was bitching about having to pay a hundred bucks for an uphill ski pass. I, I mean, sure, I like to ski for free. I, I poach on skiing many, many, many times for years. You know, I never wanted to pay for skiing. I always poached on, but I think that, you know, someone has to pay for the parking lot. Someone has to pay for the safety patrol. And um, so I don't think people should be bitching about paying, you know, $99 or whatever for an uphill pass. It's funny that you say that. Um, I'm totally indifferent on it uh, simply because of the one-time use thing. So like, I always think of it like, hundred bucks for the year. Great. That's right. cool. For me, I go all the time, but like if I have a, a loaner gear and I want to get my friend to go, I think it should be my, my rebuttal to that or, you know, is it's 12 bucks, but you get a beer or like something <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like it's, so it doesn't really cost you anything, but it's like getting, I don't want to push people away from it. Um, so it's, I don't know. It's, I don't know the answer and I have no problem paying if, you know, the, the cross country trail at my local resort is groomed and it's groomed every day. And I don't care if it's groomed necessarily. I like to break trail and beat myself up a little bit. And normally I do anyway, but those groomers cost money, cost a lot of money. So yeah, I'm okay with it. Um, I hope my fear is my, you know, my local resorts don't have any policies. So it's going to be one of those say nothing till nothing happens and then they're going to be done yeah, with and it. And that's not, that's, that's not the best way to approach it. Yeah. I mean, um, now a lot of these other retailers too, they're like, if, if there's an opportunity, they can sell someone a guiding class or they can sell someone into a clinic or something. So, you know, again, there's just so much opportunity. Yeah. I, and I agree. And I just think, you know, with the, the, the uphill tech boom, a lot of these older retailers haven't evolved and they're just selling specifically like a Solomon shift, right? Like, that put touring into a lot of people's re their, you know, repertoire. Like, oh, oh I have this. Right. I can yeah. do this. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And I just think it's it's not necessarily AVI education or backcountry education. It's, as you said, an etiquette education. Um, yeah. And it, I don't know. It, it's get, I We'll see what happens this year. I know we had a giant boom last year with it. So I think we've gotten rid of the, we've educated the riffraff, um, but wait, time will tell. So yeah, there's going to be a lot more people even this year, you know, it's going to be nuts. Um, Aaron, where can people follow you? Where are your art? If you have anything coming out soon, I know your Instagram handle, any last words here? I think, you know, I think following me on Instagram is the best way to tap into everything because I try to share everything there. Um, and uh yeah please follow along and i really appreciate everyone's support and love and um you know i have you know again like nothing but love for for this industry and and, and people and i um i hope to kind of continue to help people get outside and and produce good work that's all i can really do so um really appreciate you having me on today yeah thanks for just giving insight on the industry as a whole, not just the ski industry, the outdoor industry as a whole. I think you're a pool of knowledge and I think we could do this honestly once a month and you could give us hot takes on stuff. Uh, I just want to, I just want to mention your Instagram is at definitely wild. 
So everyone follow yep. that. Uh, and he kind of pushes everything through that. Uh, I'll leave a link in the bio as well. So thanks. Okay. Thank you. So friends, there you have it. Episode 31 of the pursuit with Mr. Adam X on the Adabons collective. Uh, as always, please like share, subscribe, tell us what you think slide into our DMS, follow Aaron at definitely wild. Follow me at Mr. Adam X follow at out of podcast. Uh, your guys support for the show has been overwhelming and I appreciate it because I really, really enjoy doing this. So thank you for that. Another shout out to our sponsor, Revel Bikes. Uh, could not be more excited to have that brand on board. Um, yeah, there's not much to say more than that. Revel Bikes is a... Uh, is something that I didn't think I would ever, I didn't ever thought I'd be on a Revel bike. So I'm really excited to be on one. Uh, they're new in the industry. They've been around since I believe 2019. And check them out. Go to revelbikes.com. Look at what they're doing. And again, what they're doing for the Love Your Brain Foundation um, charity. I don't know if they call it a foundation or a charity. But go to loveyourbrain.com. $5 donation. And you could win a bike. What's better than that? Five bucks. Donate to a good cause, possibly win a bike. That's it. That's all I got to say. Um, donate. Loveyourbrain.com, revelbikes.com, at Mr. Adam X. I guess I'm out. I'll, um, I will see you all tomorrow.